The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger Real Estate Team, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit samsellsorlando.net. Welcome to this special edition of the Black and Gold Banneret uh, podcast, and I mean special edition, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Eric Lopez, back in the Black and Gold Banneret studios, we'll call it. Driving back as we speak, we're recording this right after the most historic day in UCF athletics history, arguably as UCF undefeated beats Auburn 34 to 27 at the Peach Bowl here on New Year's Day the Knights go undefeated first time in school history 13 and 0 and the man one of our many people in our black and gold family that was able to witness it in person in the stands as a fan today of course my colleague Jeff Sharon joining us he's driving as we speak from Atlanta, he's going to head back home to, as we speak, ladies and gentlemen. So that might be a uh, that would explain some of the audio you might be hearing. It's him driving as we speak, but uh, I'm shocked you're driving. I figured you'd just be flying into Orlando right now, like everybody is right now after that result. Well, I'm, I'm looking at my GPS unit right now, Eric, and it says I have 437 miles to go and six hours and seven minutes. But uh, if uh, if it's any indication, I'm pretty sure this is going to be the quickest six hours and seven minutes of my life. Um, you know, we got out we got out of the game at about uh, out of it out of Atlanta proper rather at about six o'clock. Um, we actually got to the it got to uh, Orlando at start Orlando. We got to um, uh, downtown Atlanta this morning at nine. Uh, had a busy day. We were at the UCF Alumni Association's tailgate at the College Football Hall of Fame. Got breakfast there. Um, you, you, you know, I basically walked into the, you know, walked from there into the stadium, and uh, and enjoyed the pregame festivities. And then it was time for football, and um, you know, it's a special day. Um, you know, not just for for the University of Central Florida, or uh, for the UCF athletic program, uh, for night fans everywhere, especially. Um, but uh, you know, this is a, this is a generational day. And I'll give you an example of that. Behind me, uh, seated in the car, is my three-and-a-half-year-old son, Connor. And we enjoyed the game together. My wife is back home. My wife, my beautiful wife, Stephanie, is back home with our two-month-old daughter, uh, Eliza. Um, you know, because, you know, it's tough enough to bring a three-and-a-half-year-old to a football game six-hour drive away, let alone a two-month-old. But um, I'm glad I got to share this with him because this is a day that not only I will remember as long as I live, but but I, I hope that he will too. And um, wow, what what an amazing, amazing, amazing event! Well, we're going to get into that a little bit, of course, uh, before we do that. Reminder, of course, this is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're on every week. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. We got Brian Murphy was in was in the press box at the game. Uh, he's right now. He blogged during the game. He also will obviously write recaps about this game on the site. Of course, Derek Wharton, our photographer, he'll post some photos. He was down on the field taking photos. So we have every angle covered. You're going to want to keep it on the website, Black and Gold Banneret, in the coming days. 
for all the, the kind of the post-mortem of this football game as we've covered it like nobody else does. No other, certainly UCFKnights.com obviously has the advantage because, you know, they have all the rights to everything. But other than them, uh, nobody else does it like we are doing it here uh, today. So let, let me ask you this. You um, Let's get into it early on. Walking into that building, take me through that. You're walking into that building today as the game, you know, before the game, the pregame, and I and I saw you tweet about it. The, 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 a lot of black and gold in the stands, very emotional, fired up, and I thought it was interesting. You said that the Auburn fans you ran into were kind of blasé. Explain. All right, well, you know, as we walked into, and by the way, you'll have to excuse my voice because it's completely shot, but I know I'm not the only UCF person uh, who's dealing with that problem right now. Um... You know, we got in. Uh, we got into town yesterday, and we stayed down by the airport. And uh, and just kind of you know being around sort of the area where you know we weren't the only fans who were at this hotel. And you got the feeling that we knew coming in that there were a lot of UCF fans that were going to be at this game. And I would I would venture that it was at least sixty forty um, UCF fans at this game. Most of them were in one half of the stadium, obviously. Auburn fans were in another. There was, if you looked at the UCF half, there was not a single seat empty. It was all black. It was, and it was raucous. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Uh, if you looked at the Auburn half, there were some empty seats kind of scattered about. You could see some red mixed in with the navy and orange. And as we were walking to the game today from the College Football Hall of Fame, and as we walked into Mercedes-Benz Stadium today, I just made a note to kind of take a look at everybody. UCF fans were in their seats early and were, you know, chanting UCF and, um, and, uh, and singing the fight song and everything. And I just thought, wow, not only, not only is there a lot of UCF fans here, but they really want, we really want to be here. They really want to be here for this game. And then I made a note of the Auburn fans that I saw. And they all just kind of looked like, uh, all right, I guess we're here. Well, I guess we should try and win this game, huh? There, it, it, there, there was a look of kind of, you know, it, I, I guess the best uh, analogy I can make is, is the look on the face of somebody who won the bronze medal at the Olympics. It's like, okay, we're here, but yeah. we're not, you know, we're not in, you know, we're not in the playoffs. And I, and I guess I could kind of understand where they're coming from, since, um, you know, if you're an Auburn fan, you know, you beat Alabama, you beat Georgia. Um, yes, I know you also lost to Georgia, but. Um, but, but the, the, sorry, that's my son in the background, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, there's, it, it was the feeling of that they were, that they were playing for like third or fourth place. Well, and, and, Whereas, and, right. And UCF was, UCF, right. this was the, this was the biggest game in the history of the program, arguably. Right. I mean, that was kind of the mindset. Uh, it, it was, it, it's certainly up there. It's, it's up there in the, uh, in, in the, um, the pantheon, if you will, to use a Bill Simmons term. Sure. Um, and, and you know, I would, I would still say, you know, when, when on the balance of it, you know, the the conference championship against Memphis or the USF game were obviously big games and probably the biggest because without those games, UCF isn't playing on this stage. But um, to win this game against an FCC opponent that beat two number one teams in the country in essentially the epicenter of SEC country, Atlanta, the Peach Bowl. Traditionally, the SEC champion always goes to the Peach Bowl going back to the Bowl Alliance day. This is the final, complete, total, and utter validation of UCF football in the national line. Um, 
I don't care if Auburn people say, well, our team didn't show up for the game. You're still there. You know, that you were, you, you, I know, yes, you lost your three games, but guess what? If you're that good, you should have taken care of UCF. And UCF took care of them. And, and to be honest with you, Eric, in a game that UCF on both sides of the ball really didn't play all that well. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I don't think this was a great game by any stretch, honestly. I think if you ask both sides, as far from an execution standpoint, I thought both were off, especially the first half. I thought that first half was very yeah. awkward and very ugly. It reminded me a lot of the Liberty Bowl against Georgia, where UCF won, yeah. which was a god-awful ugly game. And I thought we were headed for a, that type of game. Mackenzie Milton couldn't couldn't hit a pass at all in the first half. Um, yeah, he came out He came out very, very jittery. Uh, yeah. You know, that first session he missed, I think, on three consecutive passes. And they were all short passes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and he came out, and he was very, um, I don't know if he was just too amped up or nervous or what. I think, yes. Yeah, I, I think so. I, and Scott Frost, I mean, obviously I had the, the luxury of watching the telecast. He was interviewed at halftime by Amanda, uh, by uh, Allison Williams, pardon me. And he said, yeah, the nerves, you know, he's going to be a lot better in the second half. And he definitely was. But I'm glad that what you brought up from the, the, the fans' kind of moods and the perspectives, I thought foreshadowed this football game. I thought UCF at the end, and it, it came off on television anyway, That I, and I felt this way. I think UCF wanted this football game more than Auburn. They were the more uh, aggressive team. They were ready to go from play one of the game from an emotional standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, whereas I thought Auburn, quite frankly, didn't come ready to play in that first half. And we talked about this in the last episode. You'll know early in this first quarter how things will go. And I thought Auburn was very nonchalant. I think they felt they can just run the football and be very vanilla and I think they got caught off guard and Gus Malzone acknowledged that at halftime and in the interview saying that that was the worst half they've played and they didn't come out inspired and you know they came out inspired in that third quarter but you can't just flip the switch on and off and this team was prepared from day from play one on the defensive side of the ball Shaq Griffin who played not only maybe the greatest performance of any defensive player, any UCF player has ever played in a game. I think Shaq Griffin to, uh, in this bowl game solidifies himself now. Hey, still here? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. And, and do you agree with this? I think Shaq Griffin, with his performance today, solidifies himself as the greatest defensive player in college, in the history of UCF in his college career. I'm not talking about what he's going to do in the NFL and things like that. As far as the best college player in UCF defensive player history, I think Shaq Griffin uh, solidified that with his performance in the win against Auburn because he was dominating, and ESPN wouldn't stop talking about him. Well, let's put it this way. He's the first ballot UCF Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've seen, we've seen Shaquem Griffin... Um, you know, put up some amazing performances in his career at UCF. Um, and for this year in particular, you know, the, I, 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 we've said this, you know, since the beginning of the year, the secret was out um, that, that he was a good football player. And so teams keyed on that. And there's no question that Auburn keyed on it as well. But as, as often as we've seen him play with the intensity, with the passion, with the sheer ability that he has, he's, he's the fastest guy on the defense. He, um, he played the best game all around that I've ever seen. He was all over the, the Auburn backfield. Um, 
it was his pressure. I think UCF had well, how many? Or you'll probably say it was six or seven sacks that UCF had. I believe they had six uh-huh. or seven. I know they had like over ten plays uh, behind the line of scrimmage for a loss, tackle for a loss yeah. as a defense. They were aggressive, and I tweeted this out. Credit Eric Shenaner and this defensive staff yeah. for cleaning yeah. up some of them. You know, they got ridiculed in the last couple of weeks, and some of them immature fans. They got all bent out of shape because he's leaving for Nebraska, and they certainly uh, had struggles against USF and Memphis from a breakdown standpoint, from a communication standpoint. I thought they were rock solid today, and I thought they had a tremendous game plan for it with Auburn. I thought they took they shut down the Auburn running game, and they basically said, if you're gonna you know you're gonna beat us, you're gonna try and beat us deep. But they put pressure. We talked about the line of scrimmage, and I thought the big story is this defense of line, defensive line, and Shaq Griffin. These guys haven't put a lot of pressure on teams in recent weeks and the months. Boy, they did today. They whooped the Auburn offensive line today. They really did. They 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 kicked the Auburn. I can't believe I'm saying this. They kicked the Auburn offensive line's tails up and down the field. Yeah. And uh, and there were UCF players in the backfield all day. Jared Stidham did not have time to throw except for I think one play in the first quarter when UCF maybe rushed three. Um, and you're absolutely right about Shenander. And I th- and I was thinking about this. I I cannot tell you how much I think the biggest factor was that UCF had this time off. I know everyone complains about the time off between the end of the regular season and the conference championship and the bowl season. But at the end end of the American Athletic Championship game and the USF game, let's think about this. UCF had not had a bye week since the hurricane, okay? And that was, what, late September? Yeah. And, uh, And consider the fact that, you know, even though they went two weeks without playing a game, you know, I wouldn't exactly call those weeks off weeks because, first of all, they weren't planned. And second of all, you know, when a hurricane is coming, you're thinking about your family. Are they going to be safe? Are we going to be safe? It was a Category 4 hurricane that was bearing down on the state. We didn't know where it would go. We didn't know how bad it would be. And, uh, and, and so that wears on your mind. And so I really, you know, UCF did this, I think, you know, we could probably say this. UCF went 13 and 0 this year without a true bye week. You know, because of what they were doing to prepare for the hurricane, and then all the games that they played. There, I think UCF played what? Eric, was it? Was it um, 12? Excuse me, about 10 games in a row without a week off. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, well, they played, actually, I mean, you think about it, they played the opener against FIU, then they had the whole situation with the hurricane. They played from Maryland on uh, without okay. a bye. So, really, it was, a, uh, yeah, 11. 11 games in a row. 11 yeah. games in a row without a bye week. And at the end of the season, against USF and Memphis, they were exhausted. They were absolutely exhausted. And so they needed this this three-week period to... Um, to, to kind of to kind of get their, their sea legs back underneath them, and I think it did them a world of good because UCF looked fresh and they had energy in this game. In fact, in the case of uh, in the case of Mackenzie Milton, they may have had too much energy. But you're absolutely right about Eric Schneider in this defense. They went back to what worked for them in the yeah. first half of the season before they started running out of gas, and that was causing havoc in the backfield and forcing turnovers. UCF forced, I think it was three turnovers in this game. They got the pick six from Shaquan Burkett, which was which was huge. And most importantly, they got that turnover in the first half when Auburn was up three to nothing. That led to Mackenzie Milton's touchdown run. It was looking a little bit like like game like Auburn's game plan was going to work, where they were just going to physically wear down UCF right. 
by running Carrion Johnson into the middle, and then eventually they would just wear down. But when they, but when UCF forced the turnover on the short field, they scored the touchdown uh, to go up ten to, I think it was ten to three at the time. That was that was the break that UCF needed to say, okay, we can play on this field. And then you, and then you knocked them back on their heels. And once Auburn got knocked back on their heels, they never really got back on their toes in this game, save for that first seven and a half minutes of the third quarter. But that was a really key. The, the, the defense was, if you could give a team MVP, I think it would have to be the defense today. They were outstanding. Well, and I think the play that came out, the play call of the game, to me, in that last drive of the game, Eric Chenander in the defense dialing up the blitz right after yeah. the Auburn player, the center, and then ESPN and Brock Hewitt did a great job. And this is their center. It's not like, a hey, it's a tackle or guard. It's a center that goes out of the play because he's hurt. Auburn's driving. You're thinking, my goodness, they're going to drive the tie this game. And he calls a blitz right away. And everybody knows this. He follow football. The center is like the quarterback of that offensive line with the communication. They were going to attack him up the middle. And that forced Stidham to throw that pass Aaron into the end zone, which got picked off. Uh, I thought Stidham, even though the numbers looked good, was rattled early on. I thought he played. Uh, he was tap dancing a lot. I thought UCF got to his head. Uh, he obviously got fooled on the interception by Burkett that you acknowledged there. And uh, I, I thought he got rattled at times because of that pressure. But it was a great call there to go blitz there. A lot of times teams play soft as they, you know, trying to, you know, we've always used the word prevent, right? And they prevent you from winning and, and maybe play right. soft trying to play the end zone. Janana's like, screw it. We're going to blitz you here. And if you score, you score. But we're going to go get you. And I think they wanted to expose the, they saw the situation there in the offensive line with the center out after the injury. And it worked to the interception. It forced Stidham because Stidham was getting pressured. Griffin was in his face right at the middle and, and I don't I don't think Stidham I think Stidham was trying to throw the ball in the back of the end zone but because he was going backwards I don't think he put enough on it and that's why he got picked off there either that or he tried to force that either way that's how the game ends and I thought that was interesting how about the fact that then UCF's last two games they basically ended with an interception right it was the defense that got it done uh, not to mention the fumble at the end of the USF game that also another yep. turnover yep. sealed the game. Great call. Uh, you know, as I was watching the, uh, the the that that final play when Stidham threw that interception, it looked to me like there was a read that one of the receivers missed. Yep. Where if where if there was a blitz, you're supposed to just head for the end zone because you're going to have one on one. As it turned out, there were two UCF defenders in the area and no Auburn receivers. Um, it, you're absolutely right with the call on the blitz. Highly aggressive play, but you, but that but that's kind of what what I thought we would expect was that UCF if UCF was going to go down, they were going to go down with their with their identity intact, and that was being the aggressor. Um, and uh, and and that worked. I, I, I was really impressed, to be honest with you, with Jared Stidham. I think you know, I think that he's uh, that he really is a talented quarterback. He was able to find the right scenes, but. You're right, towards the end of the game, that pressure just wears on you if you're a quarterback. doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. And I think that the real key, the real key for this game was that Eric Shenander and his defense, um, their, their, their MO for this game was we are not going to let the Auburn rushing game beat us. Carrion Johnson did not have a very good game. Um, they, they, the, I, think, I think they averaged only about two yards a carry somewhere around there did UCF. Or excuse me, did Auburn against the UCF defense. Auburn, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but Auburn could not run the football in this game which way and wise. 
No. And, uh, and now part of it was the defense. I, I think they did the front four for UCF was just absolutely outstanding. Jemias Pittman, uh, I think, played uh, played one of the best games he may have ever played at UCF, and he's had quite a few of them. Uh, Tony Gerard as well. But um, but also, um, you know, on the Auburn side, I thought that Kerryon Johnson was looked very tentative back there yes. uh, on, yes. on those uh, on those read option plays that Gus Malzahn likes to call. He looked like he could, sometimes if we were watching the replays, it looked like he was taking the uh, handoff from Stidham, and he was kind of walking up towards the line of scrimmage with the ball in his hand. It was sort of bizarre. Now I don't know if that's kind of his running style, where he kind of waits to pick a hole and then he and then he jets through the hole, or if he was maybe having a little bit of second thoughts because of that injured shoulder. But Kerryon Johnson did not have a very good football game for Auburn. I think that was a tremendous key for UCF that they were able to halt Auburn on the running game. And then, again, the secondary, you know, they've been taking their hits, like you said, Eric, throughout the last uh, couple of months. But, wow, did they come up big when they really needed to. Um, and, you know, Trey Neal had uh, another turnover today. We talked about Jaquan Burkett, the linebacker with the interception, uh, and then the interception to end it. But uh, I thought that the secondary uh, stepped up their game in this, in this ball game. Just an outstanding effort all around. All right, no question about that. I do. I think Johnson was not. A, I don't know if he was a hundred percent. I don't know. It, it, you he didn't know. Run no. To me, like watching him from the stands, he he looked he looked very tentative. And and the other key with that, he has a shoulder injury. It wasn't yeah. like a knee or an ankle. So if you're if you're running the ball into the line, you're going to think twice about you know lowering your shoulder on a guy. Well, it was weird because they even mentioned on the telecast that he was kind of on a pitch count, if you will. Like, they didn't want him to have more than 20 touches going into the fourth quarter. So, clearly, uh, you know, they, they, there were some things going on. And, look, when you have a shoulder injury, you're probably maybe thinking too much about it. Who knows? doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, that's not that's their problem, not ours. Um, but, look, I think, to me, a guy that should be mentioned – uh, is a big part of this game. Obviously, Milton gets the glory and everything. I thought, and I, I tweeted this. I thought M- Milton's legs won this game as much as his arm. Uh, I thought oh, yeah. he made a lot of plays with his legs, even when he couldn't complete a pass. It reminded me a little bit of the Fiesta Bowl when Blake Bortles. Remember against Baylor, they kind of came out with the uh, like a more of a running option. Like Blake ran some. Everybody's like, "Well, where did this come from?" All of a sudden, and Blake was running the ball against Baylor at will, and he had some big runs for them when they needed to keep drives going. And it seemed to me like Auburn just didn't respect Milton's legs, which shocked me because if you watch them throughout the year, it's not like he's not a mobile guy, but they didn't spy him. They really didn't adjust, and he killed him with the running ability. And and, and that, I thought, was huge because really when they were struggling, in particular in the first half and, and then early in the third quarter, he would run out and get some first downs and get some drives going and get some points. Yeah, he was uh, it, Mackenzie Milton's running ability. I think for UCF is what is what kept the Knights in the game uh, in the first three quarters. He had, uh, I believe, it was around 75, 80 yards in the first half, which was key. Obviously, had the touchdown, which uh, which was UCF's first touchdown on the ground, and uh, and then I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he finished with over 100 yards rushing. And uh, and you're absolutely right that Auburn was not prepared for that. Which you know we know that he has the ability to scramble. We've seen that, but it's it's certainly not a featured part of the offense. It's something that he is able to do when plays break down. Um, at, at, at some point in the game, UCF just decided we're going to design run, and uh, and and it was it was a real key because you know they really did key on uh, Auburn did on Adrian Killen yeah. uh, throughout the entire game. Adrian could not get he could not get outside. 
um, to save his life. And, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, that SEC speed on the outside is what took care of business. But when you key on the outside, guys, what happens is if you're running um, if, you're, if you're running these sort of run-pass options that UCF has, and Auburn is not respecting the quarterback who can run the ball like Milton did, we saw many times the Red Sea just parted right yeah. in front of him. Credit to him for recognizing it and just cutting up the middle. I think he must have had three or four runs of at least 15 or 20 yards that uh, that 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 kept you, that kept the chains moving, and that was the key. And I'm absolutely stunned. I'm stunned that at halftime, Gus Malzahn did not get somebody to spy on McKenzie right. Milton because he just continued to tear them up in the second half, even more so because then when Auburn started getting tight, playing the receivers close, we saw McKenzie sort of settle down and he started getting the ball to Traquan Smith. And that was the other thing that I wanted to, another point that I wanted to make tonight was Traquan Smith earned himself a lot of money today because uh, his pro prospects with some of the catches that he was making, the adjustments on the fly, you could see the chemistry that he had with Mackenzie Milton. Milton was throwing him to the right spot and he was making and he was making the play. There were a couple of situations where he did drop a few balls that were behind him, but some of those some of those balls were thrown behind him on purpose in order to keep him away from the nearest defender. He had the one catch that I thought that, that was pretty very close to a catch down by the goal line that got called back. Um because uh, he ended up dropping it at the end. But, I mean, this is a guy, I mean, he was basically, at one point Auburn was double-teaming him and and, and, he, and they couldn't and they couldn't stop him. He was still catching the football. So it was good to see Milton settle down in the second half. Traquan Smith was uh, a real weapon. And let's not forget about the old security blanket, too, Jordan Akins. Oh, yeah. Made very key catches in the middle of the field uh, to sort of keep drives going. And, uh, and that was, and that was, Really, I thought what kept UCF um, on top, uh, especially in the second half when they scored, when they started scoring on Auburn, was that the passing game finally opened up when Milton settled down. I agree, and I think Aikens made some big catches to keep drives going, and especially in the second half and in that fourth quarter, and then in that last drive that we thought was going to ice the game with the field goal, which was missed, but that's another story. Uh, um, let me ask you this, though, because everybody's celebrating, everybody's got their chess ups right now. And it's funny how we forget certain little things here. Let me just say, first of all, that I thought the officiating was terrible on both sides. I thought there was yeah, a- this was the this was the worst officiated yes. game. I, I hate banging on the officials because oh, they're terrible. You know, at the end of the day, they have a tough enough job as it is. But there were times when it looked like they were confused out there about what to do. Well, um, I, it, and, it, yeah, no, that's an understatement. Uh, Scott Frost, I don't know if you saw this in the second half, he nearly lost his mind on the officially uh, the officiating group late in the game. I thought he was going to get another penalty during a, during a late Auburn drive, but uh, I'm not sure what conference that crew was from, but um, but the, 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 that group had, you know, had, it was not their best day, let's put it no, that way. No, and Frost, they did show him get fired up uh, in the first half. In fact, I'll tell you where they showed him. It was on the play where Killings got held. And Milton threw the ball in the ground, and they threw the flag, and then they picked up the flag, and they tried to explain why it wasn't uh, it wasn't a hold or a pass interference on the Auburn because they were holding killings because they were trying to make some ex- which it was a good explanation. It was just that's not what exactly happened on the play. <laughs> um, right. But I think the explanation that they gave was uh, was that was that the was that the defenders are allowed to tackle a a player or right. grab a player if he is basically pretending to be a runner, which. I've never heard that explanation you know. before in my life. I'll have to, I'll have to, you know, 
break open the old rule book and see if that's actually in there. But um, but you're right. It was uh, it, it was a uh, it was curious. But but in fairness, in fairness, I think one of the biggest pl blown plays was a blown call, and that was in that first quarter. And that was when Milton fumbled the ball and Auburn recovered and they blew it dead. And you, I don't know. And that's what's what I'm curious about because obviously they have those big uh, video boards in the stadium. I'm wondering, Jeff, did they show it inside the stadium? Because on the TV it was clear that the Auburn player was not down. That ball should that 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 whistle should not have been blown, and they should have let him go. And that would have been a touchdown. Instead, Auburn recovers the ball. They drive, but they only settle for a field goal. And I know it, it sounds like oh, it was only a four point difference. I'm telling you, if Auburn gets an early touchdown there, uh, we might be talking about a different story today. That was a very big call that was blown. Uh, did what was what, did people see that in the stadium? What was the reaction on that? They they showed the fumble and the recovery, but they did not show the action after that. And okay. so in the stadium, we were in the dark about whether or not um, whether or not the uh, the Auburn defender was not down. Um, it, it looked like he had, he had gotten up just like every other defender gets up to try and run because he hadn't heard a whistle right. yet. Um, but we were in the dark about whether or not uh, he was actually down by contact or not. We did not see that on the on the, on the inside on the video board. Yeah, it, it, it was bad. I mean, they, they shouldn't. And, and I'm surprising because in the NFL, and we both watch the NFL, what they tell the refs is, let it go. Worst case that's scenario, right. Worst case scenario, we can review it, and if he was down, we'll just do it. And that's what the NFL does, but they didn't do it there in the college football deal there. And Auburn didn't didn't challenge it now even if now that was the thing that the broadcasters were talking about now i don't know if, even if you challenge it what are you going to gain from it because you blew the ball the blow the ball was blown dead um right yeah i don't know if they can reverse that anyway i don't think that is challengeable in college right. football like you can't you right. can't put six points on the board right you know ex facto right so correct uh so, so it, 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 it's kind of a moot point anyway but it, but you do make a valid point about you know they they should have let the play go uh, and they didn't. So, but that's a break for UCF. I'll be honest with you. Auburn caught their share of breaks. Well, but, yeah, right, 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 right. And that's what I'm saying. It was bad on both sides. I'm just, I mean, it was yeah. just a badly officiated game. And, and I thought they took forever on some of these replays that were that shouldn't have taken forever. Uh, they were bad. Uh, period. Um, what was? Let me ask you about the post game. Obviously, from the fan standpoint, obviously to do the ceremony with the Peach Bowl, we didn't see it on TV because the game went long, so they had to go right to the Rose Bowl coverage. You can watch it. You could have watched it live on ESPN three, yeah. like you do at every bowl game. So it's not like, oh my God, they short. They're, they're they're sticking it to us. No, no, no. That that was always planned. Um, right. I'm curious when Scott Frost talked. I hope, and I got my hands together here. Big standing ovation. Well, give me the reaction about when Scott Frost was talking from the fans. Well, it was uh, from where I was. I, I made my way down to the 100 level um, to, uh, to sort of just take in the um, the environment, and um, it, it was it was difficult from where I was standing to hear what Scott Frost was saying. It was difficult to hear what Mackenzie Milton was saying. Right. I know he mentioned something about the playoff. I didn't. I didn't hear exactly what he said because the stadium, unfortunately, is very echoey. Interesting. Okay. Um, we were down there, but um, the reaction of the UCF fans uh, sitting in that in, in those sections was overwhelmingly positive. There was a, a couple times, at least twice, probably three times, we heard some chants of "Thank you, Scott Good. Frost." All right. Um, it was uh, there was no booing. There was absolutely no booing. 
Um, and I and I I, I did I saw from uh, you know looking up at the video board the phenomenal video board that they have in the Mercedes Men's Stadium um, that Frost was uh, pretty emotional on the podium after the game. It looked like it looked like he, his eyes were kind of puffy as well. Um, but you're right. There was no um, there was no hard feelings from that. I think uh, I, I yeah. I mean, if had the result of the game gone differently, I'm sure it would have been differently. Sure. Obviously, but um, you know, at, you know, after it, therefore because of it, right? But um, but I I think you have to give uh, I, I give UCF fans a ton of credit, um, and I have to give Scott Frost and his and his team credit because uh, and his and his coaching staff a ton of credit because they you know we were worried about like how are you gonna how are you gonna basically coach two teams at once. Right, and the answer was uh, we didn't. They didn't coach two teams at once. They coached UCF. They recruited for Nebraska. That's fine. Right. but they they coached UCF, and um, and the game plan was spot on. And the players knew that this was this was going to be the last ride with this group. We talked about how Scott Frost changed the culture of UCF football, and culture is what wins in football in the 21st century, and uh, and. And I think that this was a symptom of that, is that, it, it, you know, as long as they came up with the right game plan, prepared the way they always prepare, got rested, um, that they were ready to go. And this team was absolutely ready for this game. And, you know, my hat's off to Scott Frost. I wish him the best of, you know, as a fan, obviously, I wish him the best of luck in Nebraska. Um, and uh, But, you know, I, I think that there's a part of Scott Frost, you know, kind of looking at him in the post game that wondered, you know, I think there is sort of a part of him that says, you know, I had a great two-year ride here at UCF. I wish it could be longer. You know, what will happen to him at Nebraska? Who knows? I know one thing is that is that I don't think he'll ever quite be appreciated the same way at Nebraska, even though it's his alma mater. I don't think he'll ever quite be appreciated in the same way that UCF appreciated him for turning around this program that was 0-12 and utterly listless at the tail end of the George O'Leary era and turning them into an undefeated champion in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Oh, and what, one other thing else I wanted to mention, too. This was not televised, but um, during uh, halftime, Eric, you'll find this interesting. There was a little ceremony on the field where the uh, where the uh, Peach Bowl honored um, head co- four head coaches of Peach Bowl champion team. So Danny Ford was out there, Ralph Friedgen was out yep. there, uh, and lo and behold, George O'Leary was out there. And wouldn't you know it, uh, when they got down to George O'Leary in the line, you know, he's out there on the field, you know, wearing his jacket, and uh, and they announced George O'Leary, because obviously he won the Peach Bowl, he was a Georgia Tech. Uh, standing O from the UCF fans. There you go. Good. Standing over George O'Leary in uh, UCF fans, one of the loudest cheers of the day. So, uh, no hard feelings. All's well that ends well, I guess. Yeah, I knew he was. I they showed the they showed up clip about those guys uh, during the game that they honored him and they mentioned that O'Leary was there. Brandon Helwig of UCFSports.com, I believe, posted the photo. George O'Leary was shaking hands with one of the players. Um, I think that was cool that he was there and it worked out that he just happened to be there. Um, a lot of those kids are his kids, lest we Trump. forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, you know. Uh, but I'm happy that 
the, the fans have saluted, obviously, O'Leary, that's good, and Scott Frost, because, let, and, and I've been very vocal about this, I was uh, embarrassed and, and, and disappointed at some of the reaction towards this coaching staff, uh, honestly, since, I don't know. It's the most raw thing, right? So, it's, it's really emotionally raw, and, and it's hard, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like breaking up with a girlfriend who you really enjoy, or a boyfriend. Um, it, it, who you really, who you really care about, and, and did a lot of good things to you. I mean, it's it's hard for there not to be any hard feelings. But, just, uh, right, and I hope that the people that were very snaky and taking little jabs and getting all bent out of shape, and they know who they are, apologize to him and say thank you because I think he handled a very awkward situation that it is and this is part of college football this is a part of the cross the landscape this, this this is not the only place this happens where a coach leaves during a successful year uh right it's just i thought he handled this as best as he could i thought he was honest from the get-go from the week of the memphis game you could tell i do think he was kind of mixed on this I think he's, I disagree with you. I think Nebraska will appreciate him if he's if he's successful, and I think he will. I think he's a special coach. I think there's and, and I've talked to multiple players on this team uh, throughout the year about this, and, and even last year going back to the. And this is where I was wrong. I didn't anticipate this. There's something about him that he he, he has a way of connecting the players that is unique. He, when you're in, he, and I've told players have told me this. When he's in the room, you, at, by the time you're hanging out with him, you feel like you want to run through the wall for him because he'll run through the wall for you. And, it, and then you, gen, there's a genuine there that that he cares about these players. Then he care, and that's why these players wanted him to coach this game. By the way, where are all those uh, idiots that kept saying that he shouldn't be coaching this game? Are you imagine, there's no way they win this football game without him. There's no way they're 13 and 0 without him. I think he has done a, man- a magnificent job, and I've been on record. I think he's going to turn around Nebraska, and I think they'll win in the Big Ten. So uh, I, I'm glad to hear you telling me that they they, they gave him a, ra- a an ovation because what's going to happen here, and I hope, you know, we'll do like 10 year reunions, let's say, or 20 year reunions. Scott Frost is a part of that, and I and right. and I think that's when we'll see him again in the stadium. And I think he should get a standing ovation. He should be honored. Uh, and and to me, this was uh, – I give credit to all parties. I know it, it was awkward at times and maybe, you know, but I, I think under all the, the – this was handled brilliantly. I'm happy for this coaching staff because we've seen how it cannot be handled very well. We saw how it was right. – uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher is uh, right now uh, in a lot of ways is very hated in Tallahassee by the way that ended. And that didn't happen here. Uh, so – a salute to him, and I'm glad. I hope that the people that were hard on him, uh, like, I'll give you an example. You know me for a long time. I hated Nebraska as a kid, but I'm going to be rooting. For, I'm going to be rooting for Nebraska to do well. That's how much I think about this guy and this staff, Jeff. Well, I, you know, we, there's a bunch of guys on that staff, you know, that are that we that we've known for a yep. while. Travis, sure, Sean Beckton, yep. and and you know, especially Sean Beckton, a real fan favorite who I think everyone wants to see the best for. Travis Fisher. The UCF alumnus who's drafted to the NFL. Um, the, you know, you mentioned the people who who just said, you know, why, you know, why, why is he even coaching this game? He shouldn't be out there. Or the people who were sniping at Scott Frost because of how everything went down with Nebraska. And the truth is, Eric, is that those people are going to say what they want to say, and there's nothing that could get, that Scott Frost could ever do that would that would change their mind. So they're just going to sit there in their corner and soak. And that's fine. 
the, the overwhelmingly positive reception of the UCF fans um, to Scott Frost after the game is, is, is what stands, okay? I mean, it, the entire section, um, you know, gave, gave him a standing O for that. And, uh, and my, my hope is two things. I have two things that I really hope for Scott Frost. Number one, I hope that this encourages coaches who are leaving one school for another to stay with their kids for their previous school for the bowl game and coach them through the bowl game. And I hope that this also encourages other schools to allow those head coaches to coach their previous school for right. the bowl game. Because you know, we were unsure of how this would turn out. And guess, guess what? If, there was, if the situation was going to blow up in smithereens, this was a situation where it was going to blow up in smithereens. But it didn't. And it worked. Um, just for the sake of the kids. And, you know, have like one last ride with our, with our guy who brought us here. And, uh, and second of all, uh, you mentioned, obviously, uh, you know, how, how much you, um, you know, you're going to pull for Nebraska Scott Frost there. I think the one thing that Scott Frost is going to be dealing with at Nebraska that he is not, that he didn't really have to deal with at UCF is expectations. Sure. And we're starting to see the expectation game sort of wear, maybe, like start to sort of rust away on the edges on Jim Harbaugh at Michigan a little bit. I've always thought that, uh, that Scott Foss is walking into a situation at Nebraska that is about as similar to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan as you could possibly, uh, as you could possibly imagine, where he can walk on water. But the question is, what happens when you get to year three and you haven't won the Big Ten West Division yet. What happens when you, uh, if, you know, if you go, you know, four and eight, six and seven, eight and eight and five, you know, and they're expecting you to win the division? What happens when those expectations start rearing their ugly heads? Because the folks at Nebraska, they have expectations, and I mean, why wouldn't they? I mean, Scott Frost coached UCF from zero and twelve to thirteen and zero in two years. Um, it's just going to, you know, for him, you know, if, if, if in, in our dealings with him, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been really kind and open. I love what he did to, um, I love what he did for UCF's culture um, in the football program. I mean, that's going to carry on with Josh Heifel. I really do believe that. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, I mean, if, we, if any one of us was in, in his position, we would do the same thing. We would take that job in a heartbeat. It's our alma mater. They're paying us a lot of money to do it. And we're going to walk on water for a while when we're there, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a difficult road, a big challenge for him and a lot of that staff. And and uh, as they say, you know, we shall see. That's why they play the games, right? Yes. And I would. Uh, we'll get into this in future episodes. I I can make the same argument for Josh Heupel because I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to now follow up this 13 and 0 season. But we'll get into that at another time. Uh, I want to ask you because uh, after the game. You win. Everybody's excited. Everybody's uh, – give, give me – take me through once UCF gets the interception, they take the knee, you realize you've won the Peach Bowl, and take me through from there all the way past the celebration. What was it like in that stadium from the fan standpoint uh, as you guys are leaving the stadium? To be honest with you, I mean, as we're driving home now, I'm actually driving through Macon, Georgia right now. Um, it was – we're actually getting ready to drive past Mercer University. Um, the, um, it was surreal. 
I mean, I, I kept I kept telling so I, I saw uh, Jimmy Skiles and Brandon Purrington, two friends of ours. Um, and Jimmy obviously working as an as an associate uh, athletic director now for fan development UCF. He was on our previous show. Um, and I told him, I said, you know, I feel like I'm having a hallucination right now. Um, when the intercept, you know, we thought really that the game was pretty much in hand when Shaquan Burkett made the pick six. And then, uh, and then comes, you know, obviously the drive where UCF was putting Trey Neal, literally no joke, Eric, 40 yards deep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and playing, and playing prevent and Auburn just, just laced, laced right down the field on uh, and got it to back to within a score, and then the missed field goal, and then, oh, my God, here we go. And, and I kept, well, we all kept saying to ourselves, man, you know, it's just never going to be easy with us, is it? We're never going to have it easy. And, and we're right. I mean, you know, go back to the Fiesta Bowl, same thing, you know. I mean, that that was never easy. That was a one-possession game midway through the fourth quarter. Everyone thinks it was a blowout. It wasn't. Um, but then the final interception, it was just bizarre seeing Stidham throw the ball to you know, to basically two wide-open UCF defenders. And you're thinking the whole time when it's hanging in the air, oh, God, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. He finally, uh, and that the, the interception was finally made. And we all realized in the uh, black and gold section of the stadium that, my God, we've just gone undefeated. And uh, and it was a, it, there was a, a mix of bewilderment, but also, it's sort of like, you know, I don't know if this is true or false for some fans, but the kind of kind of thought that, you know, we always knew we could do this. And I, I used the word earlier, validation. It's a true validation of UCF as a program in the eyes of the, of, of the college football world now. There's, you know, I, I still think that there was, even though UCF was considered back in 2014, 2013 to be a, quote, BCS buster, end quote, um, the uh, you know in the in the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor, there was still the thought of well you're still just UCF, right? This was just a blip on the radar screen. You go winless, you know you guys really aren't. You guys really don't belong. This was a fluke, which was what people said about Boise State when they beat Oklahoma. It was what they said about Utah when they beat Pitt before that. Yeah, you're here this time. But wait till you face real competition in a team that cares um, and a team that matters in Auburn, an SEC opponent in this case, but they're big physical SEC bodies and they're super-duper super, super duper SEC speed and all that. Well, UCF finally proved to everybody that they belong in the national consciousness for once and for all, and you cannot take that away. And, uh, and there is the belief on that, that we are, that, that, that we being UCF are here and we're not going anywhere. You can't, you can't keep, you can't keep them down and out of the conversation anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote, uh, about a week ago the, about how, you know, maybe the ESPN, uh, or the Disney deal with Fox. They have changed the status quo with the regional sports networks, the Fox Sports of the world. They have changed the status quo on uh, expansion with the Big 12. Who knows? Maybe one day that reopens. Who knows? Maybe there's some other conference that rolls around one day that decides UCF is, uh, that, 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 well, not decides, but realizes that UCF is 
um, the kind of program that you want to let, that you want to hitch your uh, hitch your saddle up to, um, you know, in terms of television ratings and a growing student body, a growing alumni base that's growing faster than any other alumni base in the state of Florida. Um, this was the final validation of that, and uh, and and to see UCF, you know, come up big on this stage. Eric, how many times have we seen UCF come up short on a stage like this against an SEC team back in the day? I think, sure. you know, I detailed the, the game in 1998 against Auburn that ended up um, where UCF was basically 57 seconds away from its first ever bowl bid as a 1A independent um, and, uh, and 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 couldn't and couldn't get the job done against a bad Auburn team. This was a good Auburn team. It beat Georgia. It beat Alabama. And, uh, was, uh, and was basically one game away from the playoff itself had they beaten Georgia in the SEC championship game. So, um, like I said, they can't take it away from UCF now. It's in the book. You can't erase it. No, and I think the only thing I'll add is they got to be more, you know, continue to win, uh, and uh, let's hope we don't have another winless season anytime soon. <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, we will, we will look back at the 2015 winless campaign as, as, a, as, a, as a surreal outlier that ended up doing a world of good for yes. the program as a whole. And, and and I know you say, well, you're ragging on George O'Leary. Well, George O'Leary, I think, you know, looking back on it, probably should have retired after the PS. I think he, well, I think he wanted to. I think that, the, you know, I mean, we can, depending on what you hear and who you talk to, but there is the talk that he kind of wanted to re- go out that way, and he got talked into coming back. Uh, there right. was a whole thing about Brent Key taking over the program and everything. Well, well, that's the thing that I was talking about with one of the other fans that I saw that, that I, was, I was chatting with during the game was, think about it. If, you, if, if O'Leary retires immediately following the Fiesta Bowl, you don't get Scott Frost as the head coach. Right. You if get you, Brent Key. Right. And in 2015, maybe Brent Key doesn't go 0-12. Okay, as the head coach, I don't know how good UCF would have been or how bad they would have been in 2012 or in 2015 under Brent Key, but but maybe they don't go 0 and 12. Maybe the bottom doesn't fall out, and maybe there is no impetus to change the culture of UCF of UCF football that that Danny White and Scott Frost well, brought up. Well, I go a step further. Remember, going into 2015, O'Leary was the athletic director going in. If they go six and six, seven and five, maybe O'Leary sticks around as the AD and Brent Key is the head coach. I mean, at twenty sixteen, and maybe we don't have Danny White. So I mean, it just it's it's crazy how sometimes. And I said it at the time, going winless that year is not the worst thing in the world. Like you said, it brought Danny White in, and he brought in Scott Frost when a lot of people didn't expect that. And he's hit. I mean, the guy keeps hitting home runs. I mean, the guy is just a machine when it comes to it. And that's why you got to be optimistic about the Hypel staff uh, moving forward. Uh, but you're right. I think sometimes uh, it's funny how things, I do believe in this theory, is that things happen for a reason. And that's why I don't get too high or too low on this stuff. And I don't get bent out of shape with rankings and, oh, well, they should have been in the playoff. Like, now I hear all this chatter. It doesn't matter on that stuff. That's all irrelevant stuff. I think what matters is, you, you know, proving it consistently 
on the big stage. And if you do that, you're going to get your due. Like Boise State has now gotten now for over a decade and, and, and so forth. And you, like you said, the landscape changes constantly. Uh, we've seen that in politics, and we'll see that in sports all the time. Uh, you just never know what the landscape looks like, so you just keep just worry about what you're doing. And I think that's, uh, to me, the big thing. Uh, don't worry about what the other people, th- uh, rankings and all that. Don't get overly excited. But you're right. I, I think I think that's well said. It's uh, just like we've said. We've always. It's just like we've always told everybody. And we've said many times on this podcast. You just got to take care of business on the yeah. field and the rest of the place. Correct. And long. It's exactly what UCF did. They took care of business on the field. Thirteen to zero. I mean, you can't. You know, it's you can't argue with that. You're never going to probably – you never know if that will ever happen again. So you might as well just – that's right. really what the focus should be on. Don't worry about where this team's ranked or ranked the respect, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter. This sport, college football, has always been a very uh, dysfunctional sport that has many flaws. So it's not like this just happened this year. There's been plenty of teams prior to UCF that have gotten the similar treatment. So it's not – I don't believe there's an agenda. None of this. It, there, maybe if there is an agenda is that if you're not in the Power Five and all that, and that's fair, but I want to say this: uh, the fans, obviously, they turned out in droves, and everybody's great. You know, oh, they're, they're unbelievable fan support! Great. My only thing is this, Jeff: I want that fan support all the time at every sport. Period. Yeah. Not this bandwagon. Let's just show up for the Peach Bowl. You've proven that you'll show up when they, you know, when, and that's fine. Show up for the basketball team. Show up for the baseball team. You're not impressing me by showing up in Atlanta. That's an easy drive. Everybody's done it. I, I mean, there's a lot of people that have not gone to games that went to them. That's fine. Great. But don't stop all of a sudden supporting the program. Go to the home games when they play East Carolinas or the Connecticut's in football. Go to the basketball games. They're playing Memphis. They're playing the Temples of the world. Or support the athletic department. And if you support your teams, if you're a true fan, if you're a true fan, if you're a fan, you obviously care. Support the whole department because that will also help the football program. That will help you get to where you want to get to, regardless of the right. sport you follow. Am I right on that? I, I think you're. I think you are right on that. I, I, I don't want to rag on the fans at all because I do think that that UCF fans were a key factor in how UCF performed in this game. Right, um, but that's my point. That's my. That's my. That's my point, though. You're making my point. You're making my point right there because I've seen the opposite. I was at the Advocare tournament in basketball when UCF basketball is playing St. John's and none of the fans showed up, and it, it affected the team. So we have right. a conference tournament in men's basketball that's going to be held at the Amway Center. They didn't show up two years ago. Show up because you can make a difference. You just nailed it. You can make a difference. And with these student athletes at 18 to 22, it does impact them. People like to think it does. It, but it does affect. They notice if you're being supported or if you're not being supported. You know what it comes down to is recruits want to play in front of in front of giant crowds. Everybody calling their name and, and going crazy. They want they want that environment. And it, it is it is a recruiting tool. And we know that the name of the game in college sports is recruiting, right? Yeah. So that's that would be my that would be my sales pitch. Is hey. Con at this game, you know we have a good time. You know we have a, you know we have a great team. Um, you know, come on out and help us support because it it, it, it snowballs from there. I think that even, you know it, it, if UCF gained a few converts in the local in the local area, see, I think that I think the thing that people forget is that this kind of a thing, you know, it takes time. It takes time to develop. Um, 
ever consider, you know, how far UCF has come really since they opened the on-campus stadium um, and how far UCF basketball has come, you know, since they opened, since they opened the new arena. Um, it, it, it really is a long, long way that UCF has come. It takes time, it takes effort, and it takes buy-in from folks who are, you know, our age and younger who went to UCF when it started to really blow up big stuck around the Orlando, Central Florida area, and then we pass it on to our kids. Like, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that I pass it on enough to my son today that, you know, he'll want to go to more, that he'll want to go to more games because he wants to be there. He wants to see UCF. He wants to see the players. He wants to see the fans. He wants to see Nitro and all that. It's a, it's a generational thing that takes a long time. UCF is still a relative adolescent in terms of the, the competition and, ter- and, and, you know, that we're dealing with from other universities in terms of donor base and all that kind of stuff. The school's only been around since 1963. It's only had football since 1979. But to do what UCF has done is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, it, 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 it's, I mean think about it for a second. We, we've, we've seen the documentaries on the University of Miami, the U, right? Sure. And they always said in the first one, like, you know, we were the microwave dynasty. Right? Miami had been playing football for 50 years prior to the 1980s. And it finally, when they, when they got Howard Schnellenberger in 1983, they became a national power. It took them a long time to get that. Now UCF is in that conversation of, you know, hey, they're sort of on the cusp of where Miami was in the late 70s when Howard Schnellenberger was starting to take over, on the verge of busting down the door into being a true national power. And, uh, and, and so that, that takes time. I mean, look at Miami. Sometimes they still struggle with it um, in, a, in a metro area. But uh, it, these kinds of things take time. It takes effort. But at least we know now that it's possible because it's been done. And if you've done it once, you can do it again. Last thing before we let you go, uh, I, I, I obviously am happy for a lot of people, obviously, that have been there for a long time, the Mark Daniels is of the world, obviously, who works behind the scenes, nonchalant, the voice of the sport, obviously, a lot of, a lot of fans that have been there from the beginning, but I, I, I do find it uh, ironic that this would take place in Georgia, and I think it's, you of all people maybe can relate to Scott Frost from this standpoint. You worked in Georgia. Georgia's a big part of your life. You're a, you're a TV anchor in Georgia, for those that don't know. And you kind of did the Scott Frost before Scott Frost did, which is you went back home. You went back to your alma mater to work at UCF. You left a great gig as a television host uh, for family, other, a lot of reasons. We, you know, we don't need to get into necessarily. But uh, here you were years later. You, you went and worked at UCF. You still there's still people that work at UCF that you worked with and you, you're, you're quite familiar with and you're familiar with a lot of people like the Manny Messengers for example of the world who's been there forever. Uh, kind of put this on a bow for you personally and for people that you've worked with and known uh, because in a lot of ways it's kind of interesting that here you are. This is probably going to rank up there in your life and with your son there that you're back that UCF maybe uh, has this. M- monumental moment back in Georgia which was also a big part of your life and uh, you know and for as well guys like Trey Neal as well who's also a Georgia guy so I found it interesting that you happened to be there uh, that was in a state that was the big part and it, it all kind of full circle well it's um, you know I saw so many familiar faces today um, you know presence and past 
Um, met up with a lot of old friends and, you know, you and I went to school at UCF, Eric, at a time when, you know, it was a 1A independent in football and in the Atlantic Sun Conference in everything else. And, you know, those of you who remember that, the Atlantic Sun Conference was so lowly regarded that it often was the first basketball tournament automatic bid to be given out come March. Um, and uh, and for UCF to be a 1A independent, you know, we could only play big-time 1A teams um, on the road. Occasionally, we would get the we would get the likes of, say, UAB coming into town, and we would have to fill in the rest of our schedule with one double-A teams. But, you know, we always believed and we always thought that UCF had all the tools to be a major national power and to, and to play on that stage. And when I worked in Georgia at WNEG, the Georgia Dome was a great stage of Southern college football. It's where the Georgia State High School football championships take place every year. It's, uh, it's where the SEC championship takes place every, every year. It's where the Peach Bowl is. It is uh, the, that, that stadium, and obviously the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is, is the inheritor of that. Um, that, playing in Atlanta on that stage in the Dome, as, they always, as we always say when we covered high school, we get to go to the Dome. And, uh, and all across the SEC, it's, we get to go to the Dome. Uh, and the Southeast, too. You know, Clemson folks, hey, we're going to get to go to the Dome this year before they, uh, before they won the national, national title. Um, it, is, it is the great stage. And to see UCF come up big on that stage uh, is the fulfillment of, you know, in my case, um, when I decided to go to UCF in the year 2000, it's been basically 18 years uh, of, you know, as a student, um, in the student media, uh, as, as, and then as someone who works in the media, you know, the final, I, again, I use this word, the validation of everything that I thought UCF could always be, I think that, you know, folks like you and Brian and and Derek and uh, and a lot of our other friends who, who, we, who we came across, you know, guys like uh, Matt Brodsky who works at CBS, uh, um, you know, and Jimmy Skiles who works at UCF, who we know, um, you know, Ryan Bass. Uh, who works at the WTST in Tampa. It's the final validation of everything that we thought UCF could possibly be one day. And the only feather left in the cap, left that UCF has to gather for the cap, is will UCF one day be invited to the college football playoff to play on that stage against the, against the best, you know, the best teams in the country? Who knows what has to happen in order for that to happen? But basically every single thing on the list of what makes a great football program has been checked. Did you go to a bowl game? Yes. Did you have a 10-win season? Yes. Did you win a conference? Yes. We won, we won two different conferences. Um, you know, did you win a BCS bowl game? Yes, you did. Did you win a uh, New Year's Six bowl game in the CFP era? Yes, you did. Did you beat an SEC team, ACC team, Big Ten team? Yes, you did. They've, all those things have been checked. So now it's just a matter of 
what happens next? And I'm and I'm interested, you know, what will the next 18 years bring for UCF? What's the next chapter going to look like? That's going to be a fun thing to watch. Certainly was. Certainly was. Uh, we could talk for hours about this throughout your the rest of your drive, but... Let's do it. I've got five hours and four minutes left on this side. Wow. <laughs> Well, I do, except I'm getting to know. Uh, we're going to be joined by. I'm going to be joined by Brian Murphy from the press box at Mercedes Benz. He's going to give us kind of what the the media perspective was of this in the press box in the post game. So he's going to join us next here on the podcast. So I got to let you go for now, Jeffrey. But uh, uh, appreciate this. I'm excited for you. Congrats. I'm glad it worked out for you and uh, safe travels. Don't and be, uh, you know, don't be excited for me. Don't be excited for me. I was merely a spectator who spent a lot of money to come up here. <laughs> yes. Um, the guys who we should be excited for are the players because it's about them and uh, and and all the folks that we know at UCF who who we work with and who we uh, whose company we enjoy all the time. To see everyone with smiles on their face today is just. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it, it was it was hard for me to. It was a really emotional moment for me to see everyone uh, enjoy this moment together. Very all right. Very good. Very well said. And uh, that'll make your drive go easy, sir. So. We will talk soon this week. We don't know what the heck we're going to do beyond this this week, but uh, we'll figure it out when we get there. I'll talk to you when you get back in town, sir, and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Eero. Take care, buddy. Jeff Sharon joining us from the driving back from Atlanta all the way to Orlando for the fan perspective as UCF knocks off Auburn 34-27. But we're not done here on the Black and Go Banneret. When we come back, we'll get the press box perspective. Brian Murphy covered the game. He's covered this team from day one. He's been there every step of the way. We'll join us live from the press box in Mercedes-Benz where UCF knocked off Auburn 34-27. This is the Black and Go Banneret podcast. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger Real Estate Team. Sam and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Powered by EXP Realty. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and fans, he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. The real estate market here in Central Florida has been on the move for some time now, so if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, Sam's got you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give Sam a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit him on the web at samsellsorlando.net. Again, that's samsellsorlando.net. You can also reach Sam on Facebook at facebook.com slash samsellsorlando. Get in touch with the Sam Unger real estate team today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. 
You know, Nightline has UCF Sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF Sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the special edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez here in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast studios. And joining us from the press box. He's not leaving, ladies and gentlemen. He's covered this team from day one. He's been there every step of the way. And I, of course, our very own Brian Murphy from the press box at Mercedes-Benz. That's a, that, that had to be a, quite a view today uh, as you uh, covered this game, huh? Yeah, it was quite nice. This is also why you're not going to hear me get too excited on this podcast because it's still a working environment in here. Um, it's it's just amazing. Uh, got here real early this morning, wanted to soak it all in, and then to have it in the have it in the way it did. I don't think you could have could have could have scripted that any better. But um, undefeated, and yes, this team has not lost a game since I started covering it. So clearly, I am the magic charm. I, what? Uh, who said that? Yours truly? Did I not say that? Yes, you that did. That's why I, you I, did. I I told Jeff when we were preparing to figure out how we're going to cover the Peach Bowl. I'm like, look, Murph's got to be the number one draft pick. He's got to make we got to make sure he's in Atlanta. We got to make sure he's in that stadium, and we accomplished <laughs> that. And you and Derek, obviously, uh, were both there. You've had some time to think about this, and you're going to have days to think about this. When you look mm-hmm. back at this football game, what's the thing that's going to jump out to you about this game and how UCF won? That defense, man. I mean, are you? Kidding me, you know the, the 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 narrative going into this game was like, how would UCF's offensive line hold up against the Auburn pass rush? You know, we all heard all week about the Auburn pass rush and all the stacks they have and the tackles for loss. And you know, without Jake, without uh, Aaron Evans at left tackle, what are they going to do? And then here comes UCF. They mount up five sacks in the first half. Now, granted, a few of those sacks were because Jared Stidham looked a little bit like a baby giraffe and just sort of fell on himself. <laughs> A couple of times, yeah, he did that. But really, like they had pressure all over him. The the you know the uh, the interception at the end of the game again was pressure. They, they were forcing high throws. Um, Jaquan Baquet, I think Jaquan Baquet baited him in, into that throw that led to the pick six. Um, but that defense, we have not seen that defense, Eric, uh, since when? Since maybe yeah. maybe the SMU game. I mean, it's. In a while, and and to have them show up like that on this stage, especially when the offense was really struggling in the first half, is something something that, that I think is is bullet point number one for this game. Well, and I told this to Jeff when he was on before you were on. I thought the call of the game came on that last play that set the interception where Eric Chenander and his staff, and I gave them credit because I think they cleaned up a lot of the, the communication and some of the the miscues mm-hmm. they had at the USF and Memphis game that we saw, but on that play. Yeah, the Auburn center goes out with the injury, and what did they do? They dialed up the blitz, and I and, mm-hmm. they, and they got to Stidham's face, and he threw the interception. And I thought Chenander, and I thought this whole coaching staff had a magnificent game plan. I thought they outcoached the Auburn staff. They had this team prepared on all levels, mm-hmm. and it felt to me watching it. You were there in the building from the from the opening kick on. UCF just wanted this game more, and and and, and really. Uh, I, I thought at the end of the day, the the the, bet, the team that wanted it more got the result they deserved. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a bit of a feeling out period. There was certainly a time in this game where it looked bad for for UCF. Uh, certainly, and it, that was the early third quarter. Yeah, you know, Auburn comes out, returns the kickoff to like the twenty five, scores two plays later. They force a pretty quick three and out, and they score again. It's like, oh, my, and here we go. And from then on, the UCF defense sort of wakes up again. You know, on that on that, uh, that second score, but the carry-on Johnson score uh, that, took, that, gave them, that gave them the lead, uh, that even looked tired all of a sudden. And uh, then, I don't know, they found a second wind. They were unbelievable, really were. And, man, I don't know what you can say at this point about Shaquem. Like, Shaquem was the best player on that field uh, as far as defense. Like, he was the best yep. defensive player. Not the best player, period. But he was definitely the best defensive player on that field. And, again, he was going against Auburn. I mean, that kid is just thick. He's absolutely a beast. Well, and we'll get to him in a second, but you know, you mentioned the third quarter where Auburn made, you know, came out flying and scored two quick touchdowns and took the lead yeah. and had the momentum. But you know, I remember you and I did this podcast prior to the Navy game, and we yeah. talked about how this team needed to be tested. This team needed to be tested. They were blowing everybody out. I'm like, you know, sooner or later, you're going to get tested. And they got tested a little bit in the Navy game. And then they got mm-hmm. tested in the SMU game. And then we saw this with the USF and Memphis game in particular where there was a lot of different uh, uh, swings in the game where UCF would get off to big starts and then the, the USF and Memphis would come back. And, and you know, USF yeah. led in the fourth quarter. Uh, Memphis came back. Uh, the, yeah. And I thought it was, that's why I wasn't too concerned in a weird way in that third quarter because this team has been through this. We've seen this before where they get off to good starts or they're in the lead and all of a sudden they're in the middle of the game they're having struggles and they're like oh this could get away from them but they always responded throughout the year and they responded again today Mm -hmm. and um, it's really a testament to the players because there was a lot of things that they could have that that, that went on that could have got them sidetracked and they just didn't let it happen and they could have gotten down they could have rested on their laurels of being, you know, undefeated at 12-0 and and being conference champs and, hey, we got this far and whatever. But, I mean, you know, it's an awful cliche to say that, that this team never gives up. You, you, I mean, really, I'd love to see a team that out there. This is a, a bit of a sidebar. But I'd love to see a coach out there who says, you know what, we give, we give up all the time. That's what we do. We give <laughs> up. No team would ever say that. But this team, this UCF team, I mean, it really showed a lot of heart this season. And uh, the way they kept going after it, especially in the last month, month and a half of the season, um, highly commendable. And uh, the finish, uh, to be 13-0, and the only undefeated team in the nation. See what, see where they're ranked in the final poll. Um, it's amazing. I said Shaq Griffin played maybe one of the greatest games any UCF defensive player has ever played in any game. Uh, obviously with the mm. stakes the way they were. I think he cemented himself as the greatest UCF defensive player. Uh, I'm not talking about what they end up doing in the NFL and things like that. I'm just talking about when they played at UCF. Yeah. They that he I, I think right. he surpassed Bruce Miller as with as the best defensive player in the history of UCF. And I think when you look at names of this program, Blake Bortles, Kevin Smith, Dante Culpepper are obviously names. I think Shaq's now in that category as names that will pop up uh, frequently with UCF because obviously I don't know I don't know if they showed it on in the press box, but on the TV they 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 love Shaq Griffin. They fell in love with Shaq Griffin today. A lot of people were Shaq Griffin fans today, regardless of who you were rooting for. And ESPN did a, a magnet. I know fans didn't you know they they have certain issues they have with ESPN with the goal, whatever, but they embraced 
what he is on and off the field today. He was the biggest winner on and off the field today. I think everybody knows who he is today, and I think moving forward, uh, that that's it was just an incredible day for him. Yeah, everybody should know who he is, and we, we would we would even know who he is, uh, even you know even if not for you know his um, his you know the fact that he has one hand. Um, that you know he's still a great football player. He's still a great human being. He is amazing to talk to. Uh, he's got a tremendous spirit. Um, the, the kid's motor is just out of his world. Um, and it just so happens that he has one hand, which is, you know, it's just a sort of another thing about him. But, but Shaquille, Shaquille Griffin as a person uh, seems tremendous. And as a player, he's just as good. And it's amazing that uh, this is a kid who, who rarely played uh, for the first two seasons. And, I mean, never started the, the UCF or you know, the, the old regime really didn't want him they more about wanted Shaquille uh, they wanted Shaquille and that Shaquille was a package he was a package deal with Shaquille and so they kind of took Shaquille begrudgingly and like you said he becomes the best defensive player in program history and he's got the Roman Reigns celebration down pat when he makes a big sack or tackle. He's got that little ooh, you know, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever asked him about that. Can we get, like, the breakdown on that? If he got that from Roman Reigns? But that's other. Uh, well, uh, you know what? You know. And since you brought it up, you know, you, you remember, you remember, you remember the hit? I think it was in the fourth quarter. Someone lifted up Adrian Killens off yeah. the ground. And yeah. I, I said on the I said on the live blog, it looked like he took a tombstone pile driver. Yes, yes, I like, did. Like, to just, like, I, I, I just thought that he took a tombstone pile driver into the ground. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody else got the reference maybe, but uh, that's what it looked like. No, no, I agree with that. We're speaking with Brian Murphy. He's in the press box as we record this uh, following UCF's uh, win over Auburn, 34-27. So take me through the press box now in the post game. Obviously, everybody saw the game. Everybody saw mm-hmm. the celebration and all that. But take me through after that. You were in the in the you know you were in there where all the teams were players were talking about. Give me the vibe in the press box uh, after the game. Well, we went down to the locker room because, uh, long story short, going to the press conferences here is a little meaningless because the press conference quotes are transcribed so quickly. Uh, you're going to have them ready almost as right, almost right when the press conference is over. But they allowed us to go into the locker room, so we decided to go there instead. So I didn't talk to Scott Frost directly, but what I did do is that while the players were still getting out of the shower and still dressing, I was able to go around and talk to Jemias Pittman and Wyatt Miller and Traquan Smith uh, Adrian Killen, a uh, few of those, few of those videos, the ones that are good enough, because I'm, I'm a very mediocre, uh, videographer. Well, a few of those videos will be up on Black and Gold Banner tonight. Um, and just talk to them about the game, about this experience. And uh, I think, you know, Jemias Pittman is a great guy to talk to. The dude is honest as hell. Um, so he was out there, you know, he's out, you know, we asked him, uh, um, you know, about beating Auburn. What does it mean? What does it mean to beat Auburn? And he said, well, you know, some people said that we didn't belong on the same field as Auburn. But now Auburn's out here getting the L. So how does that guy feel about that now? I'd like to talk to him now. And I was like, man, I love you, Jemias. <laughs> he's, just a, he's such a great dude. And also, um, Bruce Miller was here. Ooh. And met with Shaquille Griffin after the game. I like that. Ooh, little uh, yeah. passing of the torch there. You know, maybe. Uh, at least that's that the was way pretty I was cool. That was, that was pretty cool. I, and uh, I tried to get a photo of that. They were... In and out pretty quickly, but uh, yeah, they they spoke for quite a bit, 
and uh, I'd love to know what that conversation was about. But yeah, what was there? What, what about the chatter? Obviously, this is the last time. Not only is this football team going to be together, uh, but it's also going to be the mm-hmm. last, as far as on a, as far as a, a game is concerned. I'm sure they're going to be around. I wouldn't be surprised as we record this that maybe they'll be uh, introduced at the Memphis basketball game or a future men's basketball game, for that matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Among other things, they might do to celebrate this uh, win. But what uh, the chatter? Because mm-hmm. this is also the last time they'll be with this coaching staff. Um, yeah. And this staff will move on to Nebraska. And, I, and I've said this earlier with Jeff. I hope this – and I was happy he was telling me that the fans gave him a standing ovation and that please, you know, thank you, Frost. You know, I, I think this coaching yeah. staff did a magnificent job with these people and these players, and, and there's a special bond there. And I'm happy for all the parties there. What Was, was there any chatter about that, about this kind of – the staff and the players being together here and, the, and, and, and accomplishing this? Yeah, all of them said. And I asked. I asked every guy I talked to about. You know, you, of course, you wanted to send out Frost and his staff like this, right? And of course, they did. I mean, this is what they wanted to do. They know. They know that they're all leaving. You know, tomorrow or a couple of days. They know this is the end. But they also know that those are the same coaches that got them here. Yeah. Uh, for for many of them, you know, they are the coaches that recruited them here. Um, so they wanted, they really wanted to win this game, not just for themselves, but for, for that staff. They really, there is a, there is a, a tight knit bond there. And obviously if there, if we know there's a tight knit bond there because they all decided to come back, you know, Frost doesn't, didn't need to come back. You know, he could have left like a lot of other coaches do when they take jobs after the regular season before the bowl game. But, um, you know, we've talked about it a lot. This is a close knit group and he loves these guys and they love him and they love these coaches. And, um, yeah, it's very special uh, for both sides to finish out like this because they were, each side, the coaches and the players, wanted it for the other side. And um, it's a tremendous sort of storybook ending. It really is. Uh, take mm-hmm. me through the press box. I'm sure as, as people don't, us media people will chatter with other media people throughout before the yeah. game, during the game. And definitely, I'm sure there was a lot of chatter uh, as you guys were getting in line to get Chick-fil-A food. Uh, <laughs> so take me through it. I mean, not. To, I mean, obviously, there's the Orlando media there, but there's other media from across other places. I'm sure Auburn media. Never, what was the, the reaction, mm-hmm. uh, the interaction there with the, uh, the media that doesn't cover UCF in that press box? What was that like? Well, I didn't talk to a lot of the Auburn media. Um, it's not like we, I, was, I was avoiding them actively, but uh, I didn't talk to a lot of the Auburn media, but I did talk to other, like, Orlando media, and just you know, talking about, you know, this. I've, I've said for weeks and weeks, you know, Eric, that this is the best team ever. I've, I've said that, you know, months ago, um, and, I, and, I, and I'm very happy that the season ended the way it did. But we also talked about the fact that, you know, you've got to soak these in because you don't know when these things are going to happen again. I know it was four years ago they were at the Fiesta Bowl, but who knows when this sort of thing is going to happen again. Um, you got to, you got to still, that's why I'm still here. That's why I'm still here. I don't want this to end. <laughs> um, and speaking of that, I think they're kicking us out. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you just, you just don't know when this sort of, sort of season is going to happen. When you go undefeated, and then when do you go undefeated in a season in which you have a hurricane, you have a rain-shortened game, your head coach has a baby and which almost forces him to give up the play-calling duties because he's so exhausted, then the head coach leaves at the, at, at the, end, of a regular, at the end of a season in which uh, you win a conference championship, but he decides to come back and you play an SEC power and you beat them too? I mean, just the, again, the storybook feel of this entire year, it, it's it, almost inexplicable. Um, and that's what makes it so great because it's a lot of that's just sports. Sports is 
amazing. Sports is pretty amazing. And so I think the, the thing that sticks stick with us is that you just don't know if this is ever going to happen again like this here. You'd like to think and maybe it would, but, I mean, what are the, what are the odds of that? Exactly. What are the odds of that? Well, if they're going to kick you out, then we're going to let you go to before they. they, they, they <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they're like, all right, everybody, time to go home. You you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Unfortunately for you, Murph, that was, that's the case. But uh, again, quick quick <laughs> thanks. Uh, obviously, you covered this team the whole year. I know this was a blast for you. I, I was excited that you were yeah. a part of this. I'm happy you were there. I know you got a lot of content coming out as we speak, and mm-hmm. it's going to be all week on Black and Go to Banneret. So that's uh, to tell the audience where they could find you on social media and what to look for this week before you sign off. Yeah, so I am on I'm on Twitter at at Spokes underscore Murphy, and then uh, tonight I'm putting up some videos I got from the locker room uh, with some players, and then I'll just be kind of reflecting on the game and uh, with more stuff and just um, sort of soaking this all in and sort of putting my putting my feelings down on paper, electronic paper, and and um, kind of reminiscing about the season that was, this game, everything. I mean, um, I don't know how much. I mean, you could, there, there's an endless supply of storylines for all of this stuff, so I could write about this forever. But, yeah, I'll, I'll try to do my best. <laughs> Have fun, my friend. Enjoy the rest of the time you're up there, and uh, safe travels when you get back, and I'll see you when you get back, all right, bud? All right, man. Thank you. Thanks to Brian Murphy for joining us from the Press Box at Mercedes-Benz as UCF knocked off Auburn and Jeff Sharon driving back. Covered the game from the fans' side. Check out Black and Go Banneret po- uh, online. For all the latest Murph's articles, as well as Derek Wharton, who was down on the field taking photos. Uh, that will be posted this um, soon, I'm sure, at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, go to Twitter. Of course, it's UCF underscore banneret. That's, again, at UCF underscore banneret. You can follow me at Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. You can follow Mr. Jeff Sharon on Twitter as well. Brian Murphy's on Twitter, as you heard him mention that uh, as well. Jeff Sharon's on Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. And then Derek Wharton is underscore DS Wharton. That's W-A-R-D-E-N. Uh, our great photographer and the great job of those guys. They were down and up in Atlanta. I kept it down the, the kept the fort uh, down here uh, in our Central Florida studios. Uh, some quick thoughts from myself before we sign off, and we actually will play the post game press conference, the final press conference of Scott Frost as the UCF head football coach. And 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 I want to start with him. There was certainly a lot of emotions over the last the way the season ended with him departing for Nebraska. And while maybe some may not agree or disagree, maybe some things weren't all perfect, at the end of the day, Scott Frost led this football team to 13-0. They don't get to 13-0 without Scott Frost. When he came, he took over a football team that was 0-12. Many of the players that are now Peach Bowl champions were on that team. And he brought a belief a belief that they can be successful and also made football fun again for a lot of these players. And no one showed that more than Shaquem Griffin. As Shaq Griffin, defensive player of the game, put on a performance that all of the national audience saw ESPN, as I mentioned, couldn't stop talking about him. And he will certainly be in the NFL, but it doesn't matter. Shaq Griffin 
maybe the perfect idea for this team, a guy that was counted out and people said he couldn't do certain things, certainly led this football team. And he, I think he was, in a way, the ringleader, uh, in a way, and leading to this staff. We wish this staff very well. I, as I mentioned to Jeff, will be will root for Nebraska because this staff brought a lot of joy. And I was wrong about this staff. I didn't know if this staff would be able to accomplish this, but they did. And they took UCF to the highest mark, 13-0 and undefeated, beating an SEC team like Auburn. This staff should be celebrated and by all fans and will be should be honored uh, as times ago. Because even though Scott Frost goes to Nebraska, and he, you'll hear in the post game, he says, hey, he's also going to be a part, uh, UCF Knight's going to be a part of it, a part of the staff as well. So salute to them. Uh, a tremendous job. Salute to the players uh, on both sides of the ball, offense, defense, special teams all year, making big plays, uh, playing as a team. Uh, certainly Murph, and I'm sure has mentioned it, best team is going to go down. It's the best team in the history of this program. And uh, who knows if we'll ever see another undefeated team. Those are uh, done. Ha- doesn't happen often. And so regardless of playoffs or respect and all that nonsense, what really matters is this is a group of players that really brought a lot of joy to university, a lot of uh, satisfaction and, and excitement and, and pride. And I think that's the biggest thing today. It's the big takeaway from this game is that these guys uh, really, when People outside the program were talking about distractions and what is it, they can't do this and can't do that. It's all irrelevant. They played the game with a spirit, with a passion, and played togetherness, and they, they were one as a bond. And that's the team as players and the coaches. Uh, even though the coach left, they still obviously appreciate him. And I'll never forget after the USF win when they gave Coach Frost a signed uh, helmet with the team, and that's how much joy there is. And they will always remember this, and I'm sure UCF will uh, come out with videos, behind-the-scenes stuff, night flicks or whatever, uh, that will tell part of the story in coming days and weeks. But certainly, and I'm sure this team will be celebrated either at the men's basketball game and whatever other activities will be going on uh, at the time. Again, we're recording this right after the Peach Bowl historic win. But regardless, this was a fun day. And as I mentioned to Jeff, I hope that the, from the fan standpoint, that all drove to Atlanta and they're going to be excited. But to, to support the football program on a consistent basis and support all the student-athletes that played all the UCF sports. That's the big thing. It's not just about one game. It's about if you're used you know, the pride for everything. I think Danny White had this vision about this program being a top 25 program across the board. And I think you're seeing that already with the football program success. Clearly, basketball's had success. Baseball making the regionals last year. I could go on and on. This is about if you want UCF to accomplish bigger things in football, people are going to say they should play in the playoff and that's Start with celebrate, you know, and, and Jeff mentioned it, playing it maybe in the future, whether it be in a bigger conference or, or just maybe being in the big stages and all that. Support everything, and people will be impressed, and I think that will make a, 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 an expression uh, on that. Uh, so tremendous, tremendous uh, a deal there uh, for everybody. Congrats to everybody uh, all aboard that are involved, the players, the coaches, the staff people behind the scenes that don't get talked about. It's really more about them. The fans certainly feel they're a part of it, and they, and they are to an extent. But this is more about the players that have put in the work uh, since spring. And remember, when we come into the season, not a lot of people even thought this team would compete for the division, let alone win the division, win the conference, and win the bowl game. And what a year. Started off with the win against FIU. Of course, you had the hurricane drama, cancellation of the Georgia Tech game. But uh, they came back. I was there when they beat Maryland. And I remember that's my takeaway from 27th, this team. I was there for the Maryland game in College Park. 
and they beat Maryland. And I remember being on the field in that fourth quarter, and at the end when UCF celebrated, and they celebrated with the fans that made the trip to Maryland. And I felt at that moment, at that moment, that this team had a chance to be really special. I didn't know they were going to go undefeated necessarily, but I thought, you know, this team has got a legitimate shot to go places, maybe end up in Atlanta. Boy, they did ever. Certainly got battle-tested, beat Navy and Navy. SMU was a tricky game in Dallas. USF, certainly a, a classic game, a game that will never be forgotten by anybody that was in that building on Black Friday. And, of course, the championship win against Memphis, and now the Auburn win. Where does it all mean? Who knows? we got time to figure that out. But enjoy it, and uh, don't worry about all the other stuff. Just enjoy the ride and the journey. Really, it's always about the journey. One thing I've noticed, I've been talking to players and teams, it's the journey to get to that ultimate prize that uh, certainly is the part that will never be forgotten. So, for everybody here at the Black and Gold Banneret, for Derek Wharton down and taking the field, of course, photos. You'll look for that on the site. For Jeff Sharon, for Brian Murphy, I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this special edition of the Black and Gold Banneret. We'll be back with a normal episode down the road. We'll get into other lot of UCF sports. Still a lot. Of, this is just the beginning of the year. Men's basketball making now the stretch run in the uh, starting conference play. Baseball's just around the corner. Softball, we covered all. And, of course, football, I'm sure there will be some. The Josh Heupel era. Uh, era will now officially begin with highest expectations of any UCF team coming in 2018. But that's in the the back burner down the road. Let's just enjoy this moment now. So let's just do that now. So I'll sign off. But before we do, we will leave you with the post-game press conference at the Peach Bowl. Scott Frost among the, and the players. Final press conference as UCF uh, talking about this victory for UCF. We hope you've enjoyed it. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. A great bowl experience. You know, this is my 10th as a player or a coach, uh, New Year's Day Bowl. Uh, the Peach Bowl is right up there with all of them. People were so accommodating and polite. Um, we had so much fun here as a team, and uh, we're grateful to have been given this chance. All right, go take questions. Raise your hand. We'll get you a microphone. All right, let's go over here about halfway on the left side, please. Uh, yeah, for Coach Frost and both of the players, do you uh... – Feel like maybe you guys have a claim for the national championship. You guys go first. <laughs> she came. I mean, like our coach always told us, um, only thing we can do is keep winning games, and I don't think we have any more games left to win. So, uh, I guess to the college committee, it's just, I mean, what more can we do? We won all of them, and I, I just feel that we should have an opportunity to to show our talents to any and every team that that want to go against us. I mean. There's no more teams left for us to beat. McKenzie? I said on the podium, uh, you can go ahead and cancel the playoffs, so I'm not changing my mind. <laughs> um, going through the season, Mike, I, I was afraid to say much about the rankings and everything because I, I'm, I'm a little superstitious, and just when a coach starts running his mouth, that's when you lose the next game. But it's it wasn't right. I was watching every week the committee sit in a room and decide this two-loss team must be better than UCF because UCF's in the American, or this three-loss team must be better than UCF. It looked like a conscious effort to me to make sure that they didn't have a problem if they put us too high on a couple teams ahead of us lost. That, oh, no, now we got to put them in the playoff. Well, we just beat a team that beat two playoff teams and lost to another one by six points, and we beat them by seven. And Auburn's a great team. I'm not taking anything away from them. I give them a ton of credit. But... 
these guys deserve everything they get, and they deserve more credit from the committee than what they got. All right, next question. All right, also over here on the left. Just for the guys, I'm just wondering exactly how motivating was kind of that perception of disrespect coming into this game when you are on the stage and you have the chance to prove what you're all about? I mean, we didn't even really look at it like that. We just um, we knew Auburn was going to be the best team we played all year, and uh, we'll line up and go, go against anybody. I said in the springtime I'll take our ball club against anybody in the country, and I, I still feel that way. Um, we played our butts off tonight, and we were victorious, and it's, it's just an unreal moment, and going to cherish it forever. Yeah, I mean, it's no better feeling than coming into a game being an underdog and everybody going around you telling that you can't win and people say we're going to lose by this much and that much. I mean, we're just waiting for the, how somebody say what we're going to win by. I mean, we didn't get that often. So the whole thing coming this game was, you know, hit them as hard as we can and keep hitting them between each and every second of the game. And uh, what our team did, no matter you know, what the circumstances was, when we was down, you know, we made sure we, we pulled together instead of clashing at each other and we made sure that, you know, we made plays when it was time to make plays. I mean, the guys, you know, they studied their game plan to to the best of their abilities, and it showed out. It showed in the game today. A coach and the players talk about the last three games UCF has been involved in. Three of the most exciting games that anybody's ever seen. That's a hard question to answer in a short amount of time. Um, listen, through the most part of the year, these guys put people away. You know, we won games by a good margin. We played three really good football teams to finish the year. Um, Memphis offensively as good as there is in the country. USF is a, is a good all-around team. Uh, this is one of the best teams in the country. Um, what our kids accomplished and overcame, you know, they, they overcame playing 12 weeks in a row to, or 11 weeks in a row to finish the season without a break, coming off a hurricane, having schedules changed, having a Saturday game, and then coming back and playing away, and then coming back and playing a Friday game for on the last game of the year, then turning around and winning the conference championship, coming here with a coach that took another job and all those distractions and finding a way to get it done. I, I didn't know if these guys would be able to do it. I came back because it was the right thing to do, and I wanted to help give them the best chance that I could, and they surprised me again uh, with their heart and their resiliency. We're going to go right here on the front row, far left. Uh, Shaquem, before the season and during the beginning, you were talking about how you wanted to soak in every moment you could and that you want to be, I guess, get everything you could out of this season. Do you feel satisfied with the results and everything that's happened this season for your last year? I mean, I'm just going to wait for that phone call from my brother. And then once I see his reaction, then I ask him when the, the actual answer will come out. But, you know, all just, uh, I mean, I, I feel I feel awesome. I feel great about the season. I feel great about, you know, being around great guys. And, you know, really, these guys who just brought me in as a brother. I mean, it, it's been a long time since I had somebody or a team that brought me in, one of them, and, you know, I fought so hard to get where I'm at today, and it's kind of good where I can actually showcase my talents with, with guys like McKenzie and coaches like Coach Frost. I mean, I mean, you any guy can can't ask for that much. I mean, it's it's hard to have a family environment like how we do. I mean, when I leave off, I mean that's the, that's one of my miss the most. Not just winning, but you know, being around guys like that and you know having that fam that family vibe all the time and being able to not talk about just football but just life itself. All right, over here, Christian Brewery, WFTV, Scott. Over the last three weeks, we've heard you were sick, the crazy hours. How gratifying was it to see that clock hit zero and then the confetti for UCF come down? Yeah, it makes it all worth it. Um, yeah, I hold my head high because through this whole process and decisions and everything, I tried to do everything the right way, the best that I knew how. Uh, it was the right thing to do to come coach these guys. Uh, 
I'm not happy for me. I'm so happy for these guys. Uh, I told them in the locker room this was an 0-12 group when I got there. They looked, looked like they weren't having any fun, that they didn't care about each other. We had a long way to go. And to think that they're th sitting here Peach Bowl champions in 13-0 in two years, um, I couldn't be happier for them. You know, I told them it's onward and upward from here for UCF. I expect to turn on the TV and watch them keep getting better and keep winning. Um, and I look forward to going and hopefully turn another group of guys into the same type of family that has love for each other like these guys do. All right, we're going to go all the way here in the back on the right side. This is for Coach, Car Coach Frost and Enchiquim. Uh The defensive plan today, uh, the, the, the caliber of it, Auburn's got a really diverse, difficult, tricky offense. Um, how, how did your defensive coordinator put it together today, and how well did you guys play on defense? I, you know, I thought we could have played a lot better on offense in the first half. We missed some chances, um, kind of uncharacteristic for us. But they're a great defense, and they have future NFL guys at every position. Um, defense kept us in that one early, and then offense found its stride when it needed to. This guy over here was playing like his dreadlocks were on fire today. Um, every time I looked up, he was running somebody down, making a play, making a sack. Um, a lot of credit to Coach Shenander and his staff and, and that group of guys on defense. We, I told them before the game they needed to play harder than Auburn, and, and they did. Shaquem? I mean, for me, it was just to make sure my team was, was rallying to the ball. I mean, we can't ask for more than that. You know, they had a really good offense, and we had to make sure that we just trust them what our coaches put us in. And, I mean, we did a good job of that all year. I mean, we had the game plan. They gave it to us, and the only thing we had to do was study it. And, you know, all the guys bought in. I mean, even when the coach wasn't there, we, as a group, we came in, watched from him, made sure we learned it. And then when the game came, you know, we, we, everything we seen, we knew what was coming, and it was just for us to make plays. And when, when we had the opportunity to to make a play, that what guys did. I mean, we was all over the place. I mean, I, I, I heard recently that the quarterback wasn't getting sacked that much this year. I mean, I think we got a 1,000 sacks today, so, <laughs> I mean, I guess we did something right. Front row on the far right. This is for Scott. The, the game ball you're holding right now, what does that mean to you, everything that went into this whole process? What do you take away when you take that home? Uh, you know, a memory. I'm going to have a, a, a ton of memories from uh, this place. Uh, UCF has been unbelievable to me. Uh, something to remember all this by. This has been the best year of my life. Uh, having my first child was incredible. And then getting to spend time around guys like this. Uh, all season and, and watch them have the success that they had. Uh, it, it'll be hard for me to ever top 2017. All right, time for a few more. We're going to go front row here on the left. Uh, for McKenzie, can you just talk about um, your ability to obviously stay effective, you know, when you weren't being able to fight your receivers early in the first half and then in the second half, you know, finding your receivers then? Yeah, you know, it kind of came out uh, sleepwalking, uh, throwing the ball in the air. Um, I don't know if it was the big lights or the big jumbotron, but uh, – you know, I think we kind of started hitting our stride uh, later in the second quarter, and then in the third and fourth quarter we started uh, we started rolling. And um, but yeah, I mean, coaches were just calling good plays, um, utilizing my legs, and uh, the whole line the whole line dominated the game today. And I don't think anybody expected expected them to do that. And uh, just uh, it's all around it's all around team effort today. Shaquan Burkett, fit year senior, getting a pick six. We we didn't even know if we we're gonna have him this year, and, and he pulled that off. So. It was an unreal game. All right, we're going to take two more. We'll go uh, right here. Coach, we saw you holding your baby boy out on the field. I'm just wondering, when he gets old enough to understand, what will you tell him about this team and these guys? Uh, these guys will all still know him when he gets older because I, I expect to stay in touch with guys like this uh, as long as I live. You know, I, 
Um, I, I love looking at other people's pictures of big moments in their lives with their children, and that was special for me to hold him. Um, listen, I, you know, I'll get heat for saying this, but if I'm a recruit out there, I, I want to come play at UCF. It's a it's an incredible campus. It's a credible opportunity. They're going to come in and play with some unbelievable human beings and football players. And, and if I'm a recruit out there, I want to come to Nebraska and play for this group of men that made this happen. Um, I'm going to be a fan of both. Um, do everything I can for the guys at UCF and do everything I can at Nebraska, and, and I can't wait to watch what both programs can accomplich. All right, final. <laughs> pump your brakes. Pump your brakes. <laughs> All right, final question, right. Christian. Scott, a lot of people talked about the Auburn team is loaded with NFL talent. I think you may have actually said that. But Shaquem looked like the best defensive player out there. Is he ready for the next level? Yes. Whoever gets him is going to be lucky. Listen, I had some crackpot dynamite reporter from Auburn at the first uh, – press conference asked me how in the heck we're going to possibly throw the ball when they keep a lid on their covers and who's the best pass rusher you've ever played against well how are you going to stop number four this is the best pass rusher that our offense played against uh, this guy's unbelievable and um, one hand two hands one foot two feet I don't care I want him on my team and whatever team drafts him we'll be lucky to have him all right thank you coach